Merry Christmas, listeners. I'm Party Parslow, and of course, I have no idea when you're listening to this episode of Party in China, but as it contains my Yuletide adventures in Sichuan, I just thought I'd start out by setting the right mood. So, um. <laughs> After my terrible day and sleepless night, I left Sam's guest house early enough to give myself three full hours before my first class in the nearby city of Mianzhu, even though I didn't expect it to take more than an hour and a half, maybe two, and planned to further save time by catching a taxi to the bus station instead of the slow and circuitous number one bus. But after hailing a taxi and squeezing into the front seat, my mangled and marinated grey matter couldn't produce bus station north in Chinese. While the cab driver looked at me impatiently, a number one bus actually stopped right in front of us. But I also couldn't summon up the words for follow that bus. Pretty sure I was never taught that phrase, really. And anyway, it seemed simpler just to catch that bus itself. But by the time I extricated myself from the cab, it had left. Then so had the cab. So I was forced to wait for the next bus, say 20 minutes or so. But no worries. Still plenty of time. Arriving a further hour later at the Chengdu North bus station, by then I'd remembered it was Chengdu Beijing, I hurried through the metal detector and ticket queues to immediately board the next minibus to Mianzhu and immediately sat there. And sat there. And sat there. And then remembered that some local buses run on demand, not to a timetable. They won't leave until every seat has a bum on it. We lurched away not long after nine o'clock. I still didn't know how long the journey would take, but hoped that I'd make my first class at ten. But then the minibus abandoned the main road and roamed randomly through the frozen countryside, zigging up dirt lanes and zagging through dusty hamlets. I texted Barbie that I was sorry, but I'd be late, which was when another couple of pickled synapses fired, and I remembered she'd made a point of telling me to definitely ask for the express bus from Chengdu, or I'd be late. Oops. It felt bad to let her down because I liked Barbie a lot. She taught kindergarten in our primary school. Her English was very good, and this weekend work netted me 600 yuan. On the last two Sundays, I'd taught three younger classes in the morning, enjoyed a delicious but very spicy lunch with the other teachers, plus the principal and her husband, a taciturn man with shark eyes and less facial expression than a wooden cigar store Indian. You know those cigar store Indians. They won't hurt you. After lunch, Barbie and I had shared what she called a walk, but it shows my fondness for her that I let her drag me around shoe shops to watch her try on boots. And then it was back to school for three afternoon lessons with the older students. Lastly, a quick meeting with Big Chief Shark Eyes for the handing over of the wampum, which he obviously thought I hadn't earned, and a bus home to spend my wages on delicious German black beer at Winita's bar. On our first postprandial stroll, before the surprise of the shoe shopping, Barbie had made a fuss about how lovely a certain park was. It looked pretty ordinary to me, I mean, except that everything seemed new. 
And then I realised that it was a memorial park. In May 2008, Sichuan was hit by an 8.0 earthquake, which killed around 70,000 people and left almost 5 million homeless. I heard many stories of terror, loss and courage, and one of comedy with a couple of adulterous neighbours completely naked in the street, coitus interruptus, after the earth really did move for them. But Barbie's tale was extraordinary, yet so ordinary. Her home shook, terrifyingly. She ran out into the street and surfed the rolling earth while buildings collapsed all around her. Then she endured several days of hunger and thirst, helping others while waiting for help herself and wondering if her loved ones were even alive. Was your family all right? I asked. Yes, she answered. Oh, that's great, I said. But she was reconsidering. Oh, not yes. No, my mother was killed. Barbie's mum was also a kindergarten teacher. She and her students had been crushed when their classroom pancaked in the very first tremor. 23 innocent young children slain instantly. Yet there were so many deaths, truly awful tragedy was so commonplace, Barbie had forgotten to even mention it. And now my meandering minibus meant that I was nearly two hours late for Barbie. And the students from the first couple of classes were shoehorned in with the third. I had prepared a PowerPoint presentation all about Christmas for them, but it was back with a Santa suit and everything else I'd needed for the weekend in my backpack in Diang. So I treated the crowd of 150 kids to a reprisal of yesterday's I Saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus. This time the sing-along was more successful as I had a blackboard to write the words up on. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had an even more enthusiastic response, thank you very much as half of them had actually heard the song before. We lunched at the usual restaurant. I think we always went there as it belonged to the principal's brother. But the eyes of Big Chief Shark Eyes were laden with more than their usual enmity. I figured he was angry with me for being late, fair enough, but nobody said anything. When a steaming hot pot was served, I'd held my hands over it to try and warm them up a bit. Maybe turn my fingernails from blue back to pink. So after lunch, instead of boots, Barbie and I went shopping for gloves. She was amazed that even the largest leather gloves available wouldn't come close to fitting my hands. But we eventually found some ugly light brown on uglier dark brown striped woolen gloves, which stretched around my fat fingers, but came up short just before the wrist. Not good, but better than nothing, and a bit pricey at 300 yuan. But what the hell? I was earning 600 that day. Back at the school, I repeated my sing-alongs in two more classes with what I thought was success, until Barbie told me the principal and her husband would like me to stop singing and actually teach something. Accordingly, I ad-libbed my way through the last 30 or 40 minutes on the origins and traditions of Christmas. Without visual aids, I resorted to drawing a Christmas tree with stars and angels and baubles and other ornaments and more Christmassy stuff on the blackboard. I also tried to compare the spiritual and commercial aspects of the season, drawing both Santa Claus 
and Jesus. But with my artistic skills, they looked more like a before and after picture from a weight loss program. The principal's husband docked my pay 200 yuan for being late and spoke for the first time in the three weeks that I'd known him. Barbie, looking down at the floor, translated his words. I wouldn't be needed anymore at that school. Then, and only then, did Big Chief Shark Eyes smile. Worse than getting sacked was that Barbie was embarrassed about it and avoided me after that. I missed her, rang and texted with no reply. It felt like a relationship breakup without the fun of the relationship. I'd remembered to ask for an express bus back to Diang and scored the best seat. A single up front, right behind the driver, so there was room to stretch my legs out between his seat and his door. This put me right on top of the heater as well, which, combined with my recent exertions and lack of sleep, soon had my head nodding. Using my new gloves as an improvised pillow against the cold window, I succumbed and was woken at Diang by the driver shaking me vigorously. Everybody else was already gone. I stumbled off the bus in a daze and he drove away with my brand new gloves. 300 yuan for three hours ownership. But my weekend had the potential to get even worse because the most mortifying duty was still to come. Dressing up as Santa for the school celebrations. When Mr Wong gave me the suit, a quick glance had showed me that it was far too small, but he was insistent that the last person who wore it was even bigger than me. That was a lie. Trying it on for the first time at home, I found that the red trouser legs were just wide enough for my oak-like thighs to squeeze through, but that the pants wouldn't come up to my hips. The neck of the red and white top, again, just fit over my head, but the arms stopped near my elbows, and it also didn't reach down to my hips, leaving the top of my buttocks to stick out into the biting cold. As I doubted that Mr Putty's hairy crack would be on anybody's Christmas list, I put my jacket back on again to cover the gap, fairly certain that the students wouldn't know or care if Santa traditionally wore suede leather. The hat couldn't sit on my skull until I tore it along the rear seam and sticky taped it to the back of my neck. As I went to school, I felt like a right drongo, but the stares I attracted from the public on the way were no more bemused or judgmental than normal. I could have dressed like that every day with no discernible change in the locals' attitude. What was different was the school's sports oval. A dozen or so huge bonfires had been lit and excited teenagers were running from one to the other in a screeching circuit of laughter. I skirted the fire-lit frenzy and went up to the foreign teacher's office where Mr Wong assured me I looked great. And Miss Zhuang suddenly found something in her lower desk drawer so completely fascinating she couldn't say hello, catch my eye or even sit up while I was still in the room. I was snuck into a large storeroom beneath the grandstand to prepare for my big entrance. Only several hundred students saw me. While ludicrously long speeches droned above, I played around with the sports equipment there. Mainly various balls and hoops, but some weights and clubs, and a javelin, which I gleefully threw into the door of a nearby cupboard again and again, 
imagining it was Big Chief Shark Eyes. I'd been told I was to give sweets to the students, but as there were 5,000 of them, that sounded very time-consuming, and I wanted this nonsense over as quickly as possible, so decided to take a badminton racket out with me and distribute handfuls of sweets far and wide with my powerful forehand. The door opened and three PSB officers came in, looking very serious as always, except for the younger, skinnier and taller one. He took one look at me in that outfit and turned around to stare at the wall. I couldn't hear anything but saw his shoulders shaking with laughter. Those shaky shoulders, that was going around. Miss Zhuang had been similarly afflicted in the office. Mr Wong appeared next. Oh, Mr Buddy, your security is here. I said I didn't need bodyguards to be safe among the students. Besides, I added, brandishing the racket like a shillelagh, I have this. The senior copper immediately disarmed me with some sort of wrist-twisting move. So my big entrance consisted of me being pushed backwards out into the crowd of kids by three uniformed goons while I tried to grab my badminton shillelagh back. When the students cheered, I gave up on the racket and ho ho hoed with false but hearty enthusiasm. Another copper showed up and he held out a plastic shopping bag towards me. It was full of candy, which I dutifully scooped up and threw at random among the crowd nearby. Students who'd scored sweets seemed happy, but the thousands outside my inner circle were loudly complaining and trying to push their way closer. Maybe I did need security after all. So I started moving quickly, with the goon squad hurrying alongside and fending off two keen kids. And I threw handfuls of candy as far as I could over the heads of the students nearby. Some did go into bonfires and I was alarmed to see boys reaching into the flames to grab them and worried that the school uniform might be flammable. But in general, the crowd stopped surging towards me and became less threatening, bumping into each other and either leaping up to catch flying treats or bending double to find them on the ground. By the time we'd circumnavigated the oval, the last of the candy had been distributed. I'd seen some major collisions, but only minor injuries, and nobody I'd seen had been set on fire. After dozens of photos with dozens of kids, I managed to slink off and into the night. Well, off the school grounds and into Winita's bar. As hoped, showing up as Father Christmas garnered some very welcome attention. I had just about every woman sit on my knee and tell me what she wanted for Christmas. Unfortunately, none of them wanted what I wanted. There were far too many gambays and far too many photos. One I recall but can't find had me in a weightlifter pose with Juanita in the crook of one elbow and her friend Dong Er in the other. Well, that might have been the next night when I wore the Santa costume again. I also remember Juanita looking very sexy in my Santa hat amid some sort of deep and meaningful discussion at one of the outside tables in the freezing pre-dawn hours. But I think that might have been the next night as well, because I dropped into Juanita's very late on the way home from some other bars. I'd worn the Santa suit out to attract promiscuous women with a Father Christmas fetish, or as I preferred to call them, my ho-ho-hoes. <laughs> 
Again, the photo opportunities and generous gambies had been consistently constant. And as long as I didn't care what I drank, the booze was free. Normally, I did care, but had gone a bit Chrissy crazy. I had my earliest classes on both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, starting at 7.50. And despite all my boozy tales of all-night binges, I don't want you to think that I was ever actually drunk in the classroom. So, uh... In our next episode, I shared the joy of Christmas by giving my students the scare of their short lives. And I sabotaged the school's English competition. But unintentionally, it just turns out that some of them had actually been listening after all. I'm Party Parslow. Thank you for actually listening to Party in China. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.